0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today joined by Greg Castle of Anorak Ventures. Uh, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And uh, Anorak—that is a—is that a nod to uh, Ready Player One?
1: So it's t- it's two things. It's um, it's kind of a, a slang term for a nerd in Europe. Um, so Anoraks are somebody who are people who are deeply focused, bordering on obsessive, and niche subjects. Yeah. And then it's also a nod to um, to Ready Player One, which wow. it was the avatar's name of the one of the main characters in the book.
0: Huh. And so uh, the focus on Anorak is, do you, is spatial computing. What, what do you say is the um, is the theme and, and the thesis behind what you're doing?
1: So I think, you know, when you reached out to me and we, we were talking about the podcast and you mentioned we're going to focus on VR, AR, I, I think spatial computing is a more inclusive term that's more accurate as to all of the <clears throat> kind of software and hardware around quote-unquote VR and AR. So, you know, it it, it it encompasses things like computer vision that people are using and um, location and all the other things around that help make VR and AR yeah. possible. So um, I just think it's a more inclusive term. I think uh, from an Anorak perspective, so I really invest in companies that are being built around defensible technologies because of some of the companies that I've invested in in the past, because of my background, um, I spend a lot of time in spatial computing, but I also like other areas around VR and AR, like robotics, like computer vision.
0: You spend a lot of time in gaming. Um, I spend a fair amount
1: of time in gaming. Yeah. But also I think honestly, we're in, we're in the epicenter of innovation being yeah. here in Silicon Valley. And I'm also opportunistic. And when I see good yeah. founders working on really interesting problems, then then
0: I like to, yeah. to take a look and, and sometimes participate as well. And when was the moment, because you've had pretty varied uh, experience in, in different sectors. When, when was the moment that you said this is what you want to double down on as an investor?
1: If I had to bring it to one point, it was probably, it was when I first tried on a headset, the prototype um, where it really kind of blew me away. There's, there's times in everyone's life, I think, where you try a technology and it's like magic. Um, and for different people, it's different things, right? Some people, it's the first time they, um, they play a first person shooter. Sometimes it's the first time that they see, um, you know, a robot in action. Um, for me, it just happened to be the first time that I tried on that headset, and it yeah. was, you know,
0: it was, it, it was magical. Totally. And so, other VCs, some other VCs have tried on that headset, but said, "Hey, you know what? It's it's too early for me, or it's too risky, or I just don't see the venture opportunities right now." What do you see that they don't see?
1: The thing that look, there were there were loads of nos for Oculus in the beginning founding team can tell you that way better than I can. I think the, the, the perfect storm, if you will, of, of me and determining that it was an investment that I wanted to make was not only having that magic moment, but also, and being wowed by the technology, but also knowing the team that was getting together behind the opportunity and knowing what that team was capable of. Cause I had worked with them right. beforehand. I had known them for a while and it was like that perfect marriage of like, this technology is magic. And this is the type of team that could, that could, yeah. that could create something amazing. Totally.
0: But what, what do you tell other VCs, you know, you bring them your deals and if they just look at you and say, Hey, we're just not doing this right now. We think it's too early. How do you, how do you, what is the most convincing evidence you have that, no, they should be thinking about some of this stuff right, right now.
1: It's a, Good question. I mean, timing is everything in, in venture. Um, you invest too early and it's no different from being wrong. I think you've got to, you've got to have a long-term perspective on where the future is going. And that long-term perspective has to be, has to include things beyond just these stupid rectangles that we all carry around and, and laptops that we're on. Um, you have to believe that that future is, is going to be a more natural way to interact with technology and you have to have the patience and the durability and the excitement and the understanding that it's going to take a while to get there. But ultimately that is where we're going. And so if you've got that belief and you've got, and and your time horizon lines up with, uh, with that future and you have confidence that the team look, the future is not coming tomorrow. We're, we're augmented reality is not coming tomorrow. It's going to be a while till we right. get there. Um, but there are lots of different things that are investable along the way. Um, that can help, you know, build the fundamentals of, of, of this kind of spatial computing future.
0: Right.
1: And so I think look, that's, that's a hurdle that I have to overcome when I make an investment as well. It's like, you know, we've got eight, nine, 10 years, I think before we get to an interesting place with augmented reality. Um, what is your plan for years one, two, and three, right. And then really believing that if they're able to accomplish steps one, two, and three, that it's going to put them in a great position for steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think, those are probably the two factors is making sure that they align with with the vision of what the future looks like and and then helping them understand how that what that what that company's go to market strategy is and why it makes sense
0: totally and I, I want to get into the, some of the stuff that we're investing in today, but first let's take a minute or two and paint the uh, paint the future a little bit uh, you know mentioned you know moving beyond our uh, our laptops and squares and our, our pockets, meaning our our phones. What do you see, where 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 are we moving toward, regardless of, of when it is, what is the future that, that you have in mind?
1: I think what what excites me is that we're still in a phase where there's so much information now that's available to us all the time. And the information and the data is all there. It's just like in data science, like there's so much data there. But the question is, is it super usable? And so I think... What excites me is now that we have all this data, now that we're collecting all of these different data points, how do you, now It it it's still a technical challenge, but it also kind of becomes like a design challenge and a culture challenge. It's like, how do we start to make it so that that information is readily accessible to us and we're accessing it in a natural way that doesn't totally mess with, how we communicate our interpersonal right. skills, how we communicate with other people. And so that future of kind of like the melding between like fashion and technology and culture and technology and all those different things is really where I think things get, get interesting. And so, you know, I, I think we've got a, a, a while to go, like the social norms of what you do at the when you speak right. on a cell phone in public, in a restaurant, all of those different things. We're still just starting to figure out, is it polite to text when I'm sitting with somebody else? Is it, you know, all of those things are still being figured out. And I think we've got a lot, lot more to figure out because because technology is only going to get better and better. But I think that I see, you know, I see a future where interacting with technology is going to be a much more natural uh, thing and that goes not only for visual, where we have information overlaid on our environment, but that also goes for touch, that also goes for audio, that also wow. goes for all these, you know, our other senses that we communicate and we understand the outside world with. Right now, we're just focused on screens, yeah. but but there's other things out there as well that are exciting.
0: What form factors are, are you most excited about or do you think are going to um, be most popular?
1: I think um, audio um, in the near future is going to be very interesting. Um, you know, on, on the recording of this Apple this morning, just recorded their, um, iPods. uh, They just, um, announced their iPods pro, which, um, seemed to be a much, uh, cooler, uh, uh, version of the iPods where, um, where you have the ability to do, you know, you can keep them in your ears all day and you can, you can turn it so that, it's completely passed through so you're hearing everything like you normally would. You could turn on sound reduction, or you can listen to music when you want to. Audio is just where we're pretty comfortable wearing that pretty much all day long. And I think <clears throat> we have this thing that I call, and I wrote a blog post about this, but I think AR 1.0, augmented reality 1.0, and we're what do I need? I don't really need a pair of glasses that show me realistically that a monster is smashing through the wall behind you. What I really need is something that's in my ear that tells me that, you know, in 20 minutes I need to leave for an appointment or I'm going to be late. Or that my fiance called and, and left a very important message. Like I just need some subtle technology cues yeah. that, that make it, that make it easier for me. I think 10 years down the road, we, we will potentially have those glasses that overlay information seamlessly. Yeah. But right now, I think, um, I'm excited about kind of what AR 1.0 is going to look like. And I think the new AirPods are going to be a nice. There's just going to be more and more things that are introduced that make it easy and and uh, more acceptable, should we say, to have yeah. audio in your ears all day long.
0: Totally. I want us to trace a little bit of the the history of uh, of VR and AR in terms of what's what were what the di- sort of different waves uh, of, of it, or, or different moments, or or how do we contextualize where we are now in 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 terms of where we've been. It was interesting. So I I was having to think about this this
1: morning, knowing that I was going to be speaking to you and just trying to see what companies had been, had raised in the past before Oculus came around in terms of VR and AR, and there really wasn't much, Mm -hmm. but there really wasn't that much VR before Oculus was really focused on either more kind of just displays. Uh, Head mounted displays. Like yeah. Sony had a product before Oculus came out that was basically enabled you, it, it, it seemed like there was a big screen in front of your face and you could yeah. watch movies on it when you were on, you know, um, flights or whatnot. And the other use cases were really all around military. So, you know, that's where a lot of this technology um, came from was was military training and not in the sense, not only in the sense of kind of. Uh, what it would be like to be in the battlefield, but also in terms of training and helping soldiers overcome things like PTSD. So that's where the majority of of the innovation was beforehand. So, you know, I think Oculus really opened up the doors from a consumer perspective. And then post-Oculus, there was a whole lot of excitement.
0: Yeah. Is Oculus sort of like the iPhone moment or is it like whatever's 10 years or 20 years before the, the iPhone?
1: It's difficult to call it an iPhone moment, because the iPhone was, you know, came out of the gates with a very capable piece of technology. But I think, I, I think it was the it was an iPhone moment in the sense that people saw and got excited about a tech about the technology. It's not really for the first time, but really, like it really excited a lot of people's yeah. interest and excitement in the space.
0: Yeah. And uh, what will a real iPhone moment look like?
1: I think Quest has done a pretty good job. Um, Oculus's latest release, mm-hmm. like it is, it is a all-in-one device that really gives you an immersive experience. Yeah, you turn it on, you, you pop it on your head, and you're in there, and it's wireless. It's a pretty uh, wow moment. A, a, I really, when it came out, I think I tweeted something like everything beforehand was was a beta. Like this mm-hmm. really felt like the first consumer grade product. Now that said, I have an uncle who is not tech savvy, who I wanted to try this out and I sent it to him and it's still sitting in the box like a month later. And his, his uh, daughter came in to try to help him set up, set it up. He couldn't figure it out. So it's still got a little ways to go. It's still not super easy, but I think that that was, you know, I think that that was as close to an iPhone moment as we've had so far in VR.
0: And I was watching one of your talks and you mentioned that 50 million. Is that the magic number? Yeah. So say more about that.
1: Yeah. So, so 50 million is the number that, that, um, people have used previously in technology to demonstrate when something has really re, re- has somewhat reached mass market or re- reached a substantial number of people, 50 million people. So 50 minute, 50 million headsets actually shipped out there is kind of a, will be a milestone for VR when it happens. We're pretty far off there at the moment, but I think over the next year or two years, we'll be close to there. Um, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I want to say that we're at, we're probably at something like
0: 20 million at this point, 15 or 20 million. Who are these 15 or 20 million? Like, what are they playing games? Or what, what are they doing? Yeah,
1: majority playing games, but th- there were, you know, th- that also includes headsets that were shipped with, Phones for a little while. Google was shipping yeah. Daydream with phones. Samsung was shipping Gear with phones for a little while. So I I wouldn't say that those are um, majority kind of high frequency users. Yeah. Um, but now the people who are purchasing are yeah. you know are high frequency users, and and also their retention numbers are really starting to climb right. as well. From what I understand,
0: and and you say that AR, the true AR is maybe five to ten years back from VR
1: five to 10 years back from VR and VR mainstream is probably three, you know, two to three years yeah. away. So yeah. I think we're 10 years away from AR
0: really. Right. And a, a few years ago with Pokemon go, people were more excited about AR for, for a little bit, but you say, Hey, that was sort of a, there's mobile AR and then there's true AR and we should differentiate between mm-hmm. the two. Maybe more.
1: I mean, look, let, let me just, let me just say this. So I'm a huge Google fanboy. I love Google. Yeah. I am all in on their ecosystem. So I have in my hand right now, as you can see, a Pixel 2, and I just ordered a Pixel 4, got it, and I just sent it back. Why? Because how are you going to create a new phone? This phone is two years old. It has a 20, it has a 2700 milliamp battery in it. I think milliamp is the right word. MAH. The new Pixel that just came out two years later, two and a half years later, has a 2800 milliamp battery. I'm getting rid of this thing. I want a new phone because the Pixel 2's battery life is so crappy. Wow. And they send me a new one that has double the, that has double the pixel density. Mm-hmm. Um, processor faster, all this stuff. And the battery is pretty much the same size. I was absolutely astonished. I used it for like two days. The battery life was so bad. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. My point is, is that we can't even make a darn cell phone that is really an amazing thing yet. And, and what we're talking about is miniaturizing everything in a cell phone and putting it into something that is indistinguishable from a pair of glasses. Yeah. Like, we're far away from that. We right. can't even get our phones right yet. And these are the top technology companies in the world that are working on this problem. Yeah. Um, so we've we've got time. Right. We, we've definitely got and,
0: time. And even on the mobile AR front, was Pokemon Go sort of the only thing that's taken out? Was that sort of a flash in the pan for, for mobile AR? or what, Was it just because it was Pokemon? It, it was sort of the...
1: Yeah, I think um, I think it was a combination of things. I think it being Pokemon was certainly part of it, and I, and I do think it was a anomaly. Let's yeah. say there, there uh, to my knowledge, there really hasn't been much that has come close since Niantic's previous company or, or previous game, uh, In- Ingress, I think it's called, or something, something along those lines. Um, still, I think has a pretty loyal, loyal user base. Um, I don't know how their new Harry Potter game is doing, but, um, yeah, I think it was, it was a neat gimmick that people yeah. liked, and I, I don't know what else. Now, I, I do think that it does have good use cases, but from a numbers perspective, I think that that was just, that just was beyond everybody's expectations. I think there is the potential, and it's one of the areas that I'm excited about is like, how are game, new game companies that are leveraging, location that are leveraging AR that are leveraging persistence. I think that. You know, and persistence—persistence persistence meaning that you put an object down in a park in augmented reality. You come back two days later; it's still there. Very difficult problem to do, but if you can do it right, imagine the types of like digital treasure hunts and digital things yeah. that you can do. Um, so, I think new gaming companies out there that uh, that use these tools intelligently and that are built from the ground up for this type of thing um, are going to emerge and I do have the potential to be absolutely massive. Um, but there's n- nothing that I can point to at the moment. But I think enterprise applications as well, home decorating, like there's other use cases where mobile AR makes sense, but it's not a natural way to use your phone. I mean, it's yeah. not natural to walk around and hold the phone out in front of you and, you know, search all over the place. But for isolated incidents, when you're talking about, you know, doing something for, for industrial applications or doing something for home decorating or like different things like that, or search perhaps. I, I think it makes sense.
0: Yeah, so let, let's try to get a lay of the land for when we talk about uh, investing in spatial computing right now. You sort of break up uh, the world into gaming, enterprise, and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, gaming, do you, is all consumer uh, going to gaming? Because that's what consumer is right now for VR?
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: So why don't, why don't we unpack uh, <laughs> uh, those three categories and what are the different sort of subcategories within them, or, or how do we sort of make sense of them? Sure.
1: So I think
0: gaming, um,
1: you know, gaming is the most obvious one. You've got <clears throat> your bigger players in there like Valve, Oculus, Sony, and other game publishers who are also interested in getting into the space. And how
0: do they compete with sort of the non-VR gaming ecosystem or sort of uh, esports or how, how does that interface? I don't know it's an, if it's necessarily them
1: competing. I think AR and VR is just another avenue that a
0: lot of these companies are exploring great so when when are we going to have a unicorn company in that space or are there no startups likely to
1: well i think niantic is a unicorn company in that space um i think that there's some great teams right now that are working on just vr and ar um that have seen great success not at unicorn level yet yeah um but um but they'll get there. And like I said, I think a lot of the big gaming companies like Ubisoft is, is about to leverage some of their big IP for VR releases. Um, I think that we're going to see these companies that are unicorns that are, you know, that are, that are coming into the space.
0: Yeah. And so have you invested in any VR gaming companies or have you looked at them or, or what it really excites you there? Where do you think you would make a bet potentially there?
1: I have, I think that, uh, interaction in VR is a really exciting. Like that, that's that was another one of those magic moments that I had in VR um, was when I tried out a game that allowed me to interact with somebody else, mm-hmm. um, and it was just one of again one of those just just kind of uh, mind blowing uh, uh, experiences. And so I love the social aspect of VR. I am invested in a company called um, Rec Room. They're previously called Against Gravity, but their product was Rec Room. Now they're just called Rec Room. Amazing company um, that is based up in Seattle, and they're really focused on creating a fun, straightforward uh, environment for people to get together, be able to express themselves, create. There's a lot of user generated content in there. There's a lot of people who are using, who are, they built all these amazing creation tools that enable people to create their own worlds. And then they don't make things – they keep things kind of simple in terms of game mechanics. VR is difficult enough as it is. Like there's a lot of people who – there's a steep learning curve there. Um, And I think that what they've done is they've hammered home just really fun and straightforward gaming mechanics. So you can get in there and you can jump into a paintball game and it's like, oh, this is paintball. I get it. Like I have a gun. I'm meant to shoot the other team. Boom, that's it. There's no – you know crazy upgrades. There's no, um, you know, there's no super complicated game mechanics that some of the more standard gaming companies have created in order to kind of differentiate themselves from, from the pack. Um, so, uh, so I really love that company. The the leadership are are, are a bunch of visionaries in this space. Um, Do
0: do you put sandbox VR in this category?
1: Um, yes. Well, sandbox VR is more location based entertainment. Um, So that's another group of 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 companies. So things like Sandbox VR, The Void, which are building these experiences that people travel to um, to get into VR. It's kind of it's kind of a bit ironic um, because the whole you know one of the things about VR is that it can transport you anywhere. So to actually have to get in your car, drive someplace, and then you know only to to hop into VR is quite quite funny. But anyway, uh, that is Sandbox VR and The Void are are very cool experiences um, and they allow you to hop in a VR experience, but they match, they match your physical world with what you're seeing in VR. And so you can walk around the giant warehouse that just, you know, could, if you were looking yeah. at it from a top-down perspective, it l- would look like a, a rat's maze yeah. uh, that you're walking through. But because you're in VR, the walls, rather than just being plain pieces of plywood, are actually, you know, um, gates that are, uh, you know, that are this amazing kind of, like, iron that yeah. are blocking out heat coming yeah. from the other side. Like, so you can do all kinds of things in VR, and you combine the two, and you create these LBE or location-based energy. And why does an A16Z,
0: interesting Harwitz? you know, back up the truck and put a lot of money in a company like like that. They they think, you know, how how does that become a unicorn? Just people that becomes a cultural movement that people are just (laughs) doing that at scale or, or do they do, is that just a wedge and to get into something else?
1: That's something that you'd have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't answer that question. That's fine. Uh, I think location-based entertainment is, is interesting, but how it becomes a billion dollar opportunity is, um, uh, is something that I don't.
0: Yeah, use. are they're getting some data that they're using for some other thing, or <laughs> I have no idea. You mentioned another company. You, missed.
1: yeah, I'm also in, an investor in a company called Drifter, um, which is an amazing team. Um, they're kind of just like uh, super high caliber game developers, previously from Epic and EA and a bunch of a bunch of top studios, and the guys just kind of all. Connected over their shared love of of virtual reality and um, are creating some pretty amazing experiences. They're drawing on their um, AAA title uh, FPS experience, Um, but look, the 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 market is early, and they've because of the type of work that they put out, they've had a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of inbound interests of people saying that. We, we see what you're able to do. We'd love it if you would work with us and help us bring this kind of this IP into VR, that IP into VR. So they're really busy and yeah. they're, the quality of content that they're putting out is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about is, um, or mentioned is uh, Philip Rosdell's uh, contribution for Second Life and then with High Fidelity. What do you find that's interesting or noteworthy or how, how has that affected the space? Or?
1: To be honest with you, I haven't tracked them as much as I probably should. I think Second Life was an incredibly interesting, is an incredibly interesting game, and surely there's some learnings there with Second Life that they should be able to leverage with High Fidelity. Um, but I haven't really been tracking them.
0: Yeah, uh, how about Enterprise?
1: So there's a couple of different areas in Enterprise. I think. Um, training is one that has gotten a lot of attention. Biggest deal yet done in the private sector um, with enterprise has been a company called Striver that has inked a deal with Walmart. Um, and they're using VR to train people um, how to be better sales representatives. So I think that's one example. Um, another example is a company called Oso VR, which does medical training. Uh, you know, highly immersive training for doctors to help them practice and get comfortable with different things um, that they're going to see in the medical room, um, and also comfortable with different devices that they're going to be using in the medical room, and they're getting some amazing traction. Marksent is another company, um, also an Anorak portfolio company that is um, developing a content management system and and, and, and software stack essentially to enable people to visualize e-commerce products, um, yeah. wherever they are. So it's, you know, it's whether or not it's VR or it's AR, it's starting one area that I'm incredibly interested in is like the digitization of the physical world. Yeah. So, you know, this whole concept, which, which, a lot of nerdy VCs talk about called digital twinning, which is like everything in the world in the future should have a digital twin. We should have a, we should have a digital representation of our world accessible to us. And we're so far from there right now, yeah. but in the future, if everything is done, you know, if software really eats the world, yeah. then having a, having all of the world, a digital right. version of it, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. um, and so whether or not that be for, you know, I think e-commerce is, is an obvious place right now, but for other industrial applications as well, when you're, you know, building, uh, when you're building new structures, yeah. when you're for maintenance of existing structures, for, for industrial applications, for designing uh, products, all these different things, all these things are going to have... The, the, there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a need to have a place to be able to organize and serve up this content, yeah. um, and so that's one of the things that that, that Markson is doing.
0: Is there this idea where you know when when the internet became ubiquitous, there was sort of this uh, tendency to take everything that was uh, you know done offline and put it online, uh, an online copy version, and, and some of that was very successful, but was also was successful were sort of new behaviors that were enabled uniquely by the internet. Are we starting to see that yet in, in, in VR or or is it mostly sort of copying? Um, and I'm curious what are unique experiences that that could only be enabled by VR?
1: It's a really interesting comparison. Like, uh, yeah, when, when the internet first came around, it was just like, everybody was just like, yeah, let's we just put everything up there and it'll work just the same, you know? And what happened? A lot of dead bodies and, and the bubble. I think I see some of that in um in VR and AR where it's just oh that works on your phone oh that should be in VR as well. And so that's one thing that I would caution founders about, you know, just just you know, doing something because it's cool rather than actually solving a problem or really thinking through the use case. Yeah, from an enabling technology standpoint, um it's interesting. It kind of takes me back to the to the beginning of Oculus when as soon as people knew that I was involved in Oculus and I started to have conversations with people, the ideas that would come out of people are were were everything yeah. under the sun. Oh, you can do this. Oh, you can do that. Oh, you can do this. And <clears throat> the founders of Oculus heard this even more than I did. And sometimes you just wanted to shake people and be like Yeah, if you're replacing the physical world with a digital world, you can do anything. Like you can literally put people anywhere you want them to be, doing anything that you want them to do, whatever it is, gaming, you know, whatever it is. Um, And so there is going to be a ton of stuff that is enabled with this new kind of spatial computing world that I can't think of. I mean, there's some areas that I'm particularly excited about, which we we can discuss, but It's just a whole new world. It's a whole new way of interacting with technology. So I'm, yeah, this is why I spend my life, you know, focused on
0: it. Totally. Let's finish the infrastructure and then we'll go back to these, these areas. So, uh, sure.
1: So I would say, you know, the infrastructure, the last piece. So you've got gaming, you've got enterprise, and then you've got infrastructure. The infrastructure are kind of the, um, the, the, the pipes and, uh, the foundation and the, the things that make this all happen, um, spatial computing that is. Um, and so that's everything from, you know, the hardware to hardware with, you know, and hardware providers being Oculus and Sony and HTC to software. And that's, you know, included in, including, included in that are things like middleware, like Unity and Epic um, and Microsoft, and uh, lastly is is connectivity when you're dealing with, um, especially when you're dealing with AR, but you know when you're dealing with the ability to connect different people in virtual worlds, um, connectivity is a big part of that. Yeah. So um, yeah, those are those are kind of the three. Uh, and 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 sorry, just to finish this off, I think infrastructure is a tough place. I think initially, um, people, I, I, including me, I, I was really excited as this thing was starting to unfold with kind of the picks and shovels, the yeah. tools that developers were going to use. But I think a fair amount of that groundwork has been laid already. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not as excited about about the infrastructure level a- anymore from an investment standpoint. I mean, it is so expensive to, spill up, to spin up a hardware company in this space. Like it's, it's expensive enough to, to create a new sensor that tells you whether or not your doors open or closed. That's, that's a difficult thing to work. That's a difficult, uh, hardware company to back. But then you talk about building hardware that there really is no precedent for and you're really trying to push the envelope.
0: Yeah.
1: It magnifies the problem by a hundred. Right. Um, and the amount of capital that's required to do that, um, is just, Monumental. Um, I love the guys at Varho. I love what they're doing. Varho is a company that it was a. They're based in somewhere in the Nordics, uh, I believe Finland. Um, a bunch of Nor- uh, a bunch of Nokia guys spun out to do this, um, and they're building an amazing headset. And it's it's enterprise grade. It's more expensive, and I and I really like the guys. And I tried the product, and the product was fantastic. But ultimately, from an investment standpoint, as a guy who runs. You know, Anorak is not a big fund. We we write early stage checks, 200 to half a million bucks. Um, I know how long that ride is going to be to create a successful company. And I know how much capital it's going to take. And so I just, I couldn't get there. So it might be a fit, you know, it's a fit for some companies hardware, but it, in this space, but it's not for me. And then in terms of the um, uh, the connectivity and the software space, like, I don't know. There, there's a bunch of people who I've spoken to who are solving very specific problems and I have some investments in the space, but it's, you know, yeah. the, the whole, what it takes to create the experience in spatial computing is, yeah. you know, say it's a foot long, it's a foot long. And these people are solving things at like an inch a time or a half an inch a time. And, um, they're solving, you know, a half inch of, of the overall problem. And so there's so many dependencies on other parts of the chain and things like that, that it just makes me nervous to invest in those. Things.
0: Totally. So, so what are the things you're, you're looking to invest in or, uh, the white space that you, you see, or that hasn't been yet done by the incumbents if, if a lot of the infrastructure has.
1: So I think, uh, this is super boring, but I think that because devices are still so clunky, I think, P- I think companies that are helping to remove friction from the whole process, I think there's a really interesting opportunity there. Um, Oculus recently came out with a whole kind of like B2B program where they're helping companies in the B2B space use Oculus technology to power their training. Um, and they're trying to make it easier, but they have a long way to go and I think like there's an opportunity for a company in the serv, like almost in the services space yeah. to to help out. I think that's one interesting area you're generally very
0: excited about simulation right?
1: yeah yeah um, simulation and, and training yeah vantage point is mm-hmm. is one example do you want to talk about absolutely so vantage point is a company that that we're both in together uh, and they are you know one of the most powerful parts of VR is this feeling of empathy that it's able to provide, right? So when you are put into a VR headset, you feel like you're there. And so in a game, that's really exciting because all of a sudden you're in the middle of a battlefield. Yeah. In training, it's really great because it makes you feel like you're actually there. Um, what Vantage Point is doing is Vantage Point is leveraging virtual reality to train people to be, to tr- train people essentially on, sexual harassment and sexual kind of sensitivity training. Um, And they leverage the amazing empathy that VR provides to help people understand what it's really like to be in some of these more uncomfortable situations. And this was one of those, I actually put this up as like one of my top five experiences. I would say when I first met Morgan and I first tried the experience, because it was one of those moments that it was just like nothing that I had ever felt beforehand, where she put me in a simulation. And the simulation was, I was sitting down with a bunch of coworkers who were all really, they were all good actors. And one of the actors who was a man, and in the scenario, I was a woman. And one of the actors who was a male, who was a man, started to speak to me in a certain manner and started to be Inappropriate in certain manners that I had never as a white male, I'd never felt that beforehand.
0: Right.
1: And all of a sudden it was like, holy cow, this is what it feels like. And it gave me a whole new sense of empathy, um, that I never would have otherwise been able to get, um, and it was the most effective sexual harassment training I have ever gotten. I mean, I've been in rooms where a teacher has been up there who's told me what I can and can't do. I've done multiple choice tests on a computer where I've been, you know, on my phone with one hand. And the other hand, I've been clicking through the boxes. Um, but nothing else came even close to this. It was like a 10-minute experience
0: or something like that. And this is an experience that's uniquely enabled by VR that you couldn't just yes. get on the Internet. So what are other sort of training or simulations? So you meant medical you know, on the job training and military, any other sort of fields where sort of uniquely um, helpful?
1: I think soft skills is is a good um, one. So, you know, sexual harassment training, but also just kind of like interpersonal skills and how you deal with, um, with people and with environments. I have another investment in a company called Limbix. Um, Limbix is focused on mental health. And the way that I generally describe it is like if you – If you want to learn how to throw a football, you go out back with a friend and you throw a football back and forth a hundred times, right? If you have social anxiety and when you walk into a room, your chest gets tight and you get nervous. Well, you can't really walk in and out of a room realistically a hundred times and start to get used to it and figure out tools, how to deal with it. But what you can do is you can go into VR and you can do that with. A a mental health care professional with you and that mental health care professional can help you understand what you're feeling talk through your feelings and give you tools on how to deal with that yeah and so they're doing it for social anxiety they're doing it for alcoholism um, and most recently what they're focused on is is teen anxiety and teen depression uh, which is a growing area of concern for a lot of people there are not enough people to deal with it I mean our whole mental health system is is royally screwed up and so they are providing these new tools to a area of the to an audience that is generally receptive to new technologies right these are young people who are right. like happy to don a headset um, and that's what they're that's what they're focused on now so I think, I think mental health training in the space is, um, is incredibly exciting as well.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about 3D a little bit. You have, you have CMS for 3D assets, non-wearable 3D devices. Those are some of your, your ideas. Um, and in general, you're excited about sort of enabling the transition to 3D. Talk, talk a little bit about where you're excited there.
1: Yeah. So I think that um, so non-wearable 3Ds are companies that are making it so that you don't have to throw on a headset to be able to look at Um, digital 3D objects. So there's another company that I'm involved in called um, Looking Glass um, that I'm really excited about. They're they're based over in Brooklyn. um, And they're creating a holographic display to make it really easy to see 3D objects and for a group of people to see 3D objects without needing to throw on a headset. They actually have a new product coming out that I'm I'm not allowed to speak about, but I saw it the other day, and that was a total mind-blowing experience. Um, Stay tuned for more on, on that. I think that the freedom that the digital world provides in terms of collaboration, in terms of editing, in terms of, you know, it's just like, w- w- how much easier is it to edit a document in on a word processor than it is pen, pen and paper? Right. Um, so all of those benefits of 3D, um, I think, are just going to become more and more realized by people. And so all of the tools that kind of facilitate that, that facilitate bringing our world, our our physical 3D world into the digital um, are all areas that I think um, uh, stand to see really substantial growth over the next decade, whether or not that's data ingestion. So how do you pull in all of this? You know, how does this um, how does my my uh, my headphones Uh, that I love. How do those get into my digital world? A digital representation of them. How do you do that easily? How do I store all of my digital objects? You know, I get it now. I now I'm going to start to geek out a little bit, but like I get excited about a future where rather than kids, you know, needing to collect the latest. Yeezys or the latest sneakers, the next, the latest kind of material objects, they start getting excited, excited about collecting physical objects. We see that already in video games. That's already happening, right? You see kids who get super excited about having the latest skins in, in, in video games. Um, but I think that I'm looking forward to, and I think it's going to happen over the next, you know, three to five years. I just hope it's one of my companies that gets us there, that kids are going to have kind of digital lockers of, of their objects, um and rather than needing to uh buy these things physically yeah. and and have all the adverse effects that come with creating, you know, with fast fashion and with all this right. crap, um, we have digital representations of all these really cool things and you can
0: and, do cool things with them. and some people there are excited about sort of the mashup of uh VR and crypto. Um yes. non- non-fungible tokens. Yes. Have you looked into companies there or gotten excited about any of the companies there? Are you uh properly skeptical? <laughs>
1: Signal to noise on crypto is still very difficult for me, yeah. but it is definitely an area that I'm super excited about. I have an investment in a company called Sketchfab, which is based out of New York, and they are uh, the number one repository for 3D objects in the world. Like they have more ob- they have more 3D objects than than any other place on on uh, on the, the web. And right now, they use. You know they're kind of creating this digital locker for people's 3D objects, um, um, and people can sell their objects and do different things like that. But I do think in the future the ability to create something in limited quantity and have it have value and traceability and all those different things, I think it's I think blockchain is a is a is a natural way to to make that happen.
0: You know when we look at sort of the the last three years and sort of the biggest evolutions to today. And then we look at the next three years. I'm curious, one, how would you, uh, trace and you started your fund, you know, just sort three years ago. So what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the space? And I'm curious, what is sort of the biggest inflection points you think will hit in, in the next three years?
1: I think that basically from Oculus. So from, let's say kind of that sale or right around there. So let's call it 2014, I think 2015, to when I started my fund, there was a bit of irrational, exuber- <clears throat> irrational exuberance around VRIR and everybody was just crazy excited about VRIR. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what the, you know, people are like, I'm not sure, you know, people didn't really have a sense of what it was, um, what it was going to become. And, um, and there was just a lot of excitement, a lot of people putting a lot of money into companies. Um, and and that's that's died away. As is generally the you know, how things happen in in um, in the VC world, at least that I've seen. New technologies come out come out, people freak out, think that they have to get money into it right away. And from what I've seen so far in my short, you know, life as a VC, that's that's a surefire way on how to lose money in yeah. an eventual world. Okay. Like if you're if you're the one who is jumping from from hot, you know, area to hot area. Um, you're probably not going to, your returns probably are, are not going to be great. So anyway, uh, so, so that happened, that died away. And then I think that, um, from an inflection standpoint, and there's just less money going into early stage VR, AR companies, uh, or early stage spatial, spatial computing companies, I should say, um, There's still companies, there's still uh, funds that are doubling down on their existing bets, but I see less going on at the early stage. I think an inflection point is going to be, I think that the quest was kind of an inflection point. I think this holiday season will will be an interesting time. I think we'll see some great numbers. You know, Mark... Zuckerberg said um, I think it was Mark that said it, he was like we are creating these things as fast as we can Um, so they are somewhat uh, constrained I imagine on the supply side Um, but I do think that this is the first time that you can really get a unit uh, that is just all in one, ready to go, puts you in an amazing experience and it's at a decent price point
0: Yeah. Um, so you know Facebook has a strategy here, obviously. Google has a strategy here, obviously. Netflix, uh, Sony, uh, Apple. 10 years from now, we come back, we're we're doing this podcast. Who's made the most money, either directly or indirectly, um, from, you know, of of the incumbents from, from spatial computing? And how do you think about sort of the different strategies? Microsoft, obviously, um, how do you think about different strategies they're, they're deploying?
1: It's a good question. I think Microsoft, is in a good kind of sleeper position. They're the operating system that people use.
0: It's kind of is it coincidence that they're in that position? What meaning? Like, uh, would you have expected that? You know, a decade ago,
1: I'm not sure. I, I think it it has only become more obvious to me. It's become more obvious to me over time that yeah. they're in such a strong
0: position. Right. And is it because they miss mobile, so they're like, hey, we can't miss the the next one?
1: I'm not entirely sure. Um, I just think they have the underlining. Uh, they have the underlying operating system, and it just yeah puts them in a good position. So so I think I think that they will be in a good position from that standpoint, just being the underlying operating system. And while they have in my eyes, at least from what I've seen, it seems like they've divested a little bit. Like they were kind of for a little while taking a very interesting approach that I really agreed with, which was like, we'll just provide the operating system and we'll license out the technology or we'll work with a whole bunch of different hardware suppliers. Let you guys build like the low margin hardware products. We'll help you build the software that'll make it run properly. There hasn't been as much interest. I haven't seen that much push on that side, although they are going in... You know they do have the best AR device out there, hands down, with with Hololens. And so maybe that's the way that they kind of continue to sneak in. Anyway, I think Microsoft is going to be in a good position. I have a lot of um, faith in in the new leadership over there. Um, I think Apple is going to continue to innovate in the space. <clears throat> I think they're going to start with the they're going to continue to kind of grow in in your ear, um, and then I, I think they're probably within the next year or two they'll release something. Um, with glass, that'll probably basically be like the Apple watch, but on your face. So, you know, slick looking notifications, not necessarily depth and, you know, uh, really realistic 3d, but just kind of screen on your face, essentially where, where notifications are easy to, are, are are easy to spot. Um, and then I think. I think Oculus is in an interesting position. I mean, they're they're certainly the ones that are in the lead right now on the VR side. They are really building this whole, you know, they're, they're building the full stack. But I don't know what the vision is long-term there. Um, I knew what the vision is long-term there when when the founders were in there. But now, you know, Mark has a lot of different things to consider. Mark Zuckerberg has a lot of different things to consider. And where VR and AR kind of ranks up there... I'm not sure. I mean, from the outside, there's no sh- like he is investing full bore into yeah. Oculus. There is a ton of money that they're putting after yeah. uh, R and D <clears> and <throat> and all that stuff. So I don't think he. I don't think it's going to back off. I, I don't think it's it's, it's going to go anywhere. But I, you know, he's got a monstrous ninety five percent of his business is wrapped up in this one product, and I have a feeling that's where the majority of his focus is going to go. Well, wow. Google. I think that Google will, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Look, I think ultimately this isn't gonna be a winner take all situation. Um this is going to be the evolution of computing yeah. and every major technology is going to every major technology company is going to have a hand in what that future looks like. Right. Um, so I, I think Google is in a dominant position for search and for information as a whole. Um, and they'll be able to, they should be able to leverage that information yeah. well for, for
0: the future cool. of spatial. I heard this one framework for thinking about how, the internet got big and i think it's relevant to other platforms too it's called the three p's not how it got big but their first behaviors that were popular and they tend to be sorted behaviors i think the three p's were uh porn uh pills and poker are we seeing similar uh activity in, in vr um in terms of like is that i think um that like crypto it's drugs you know yeah. <laughs>
1: Porn presents an interesting, uh, option because simply because of, you know, the logistics of it, the fact that you have somebody, somebody made a really funny comment. I was talking to somebody really funny about the way that when, when me and you were growing up, it was the parents that got, it was you that got scarred when your parents walked in on you. If you were, if you were, (laughs) if you were, you know, masturbating and it's going to be flipped when our kids grow up. When our flip, when our kids grow up, it's going to be the parents who are scarred because the kid's not going to know any better. The kid's just going to be in a headset doing what he's doing. <laughs> um, That's funny. So I think that the very nature of it uh, makes it a little bit different, but, but I think anecdotally, I am hearing that there is a fair amount of usage. It's difficult to track because most of the time it's just like people looking through browsers. But yeah. anecdotally I hear that there's that there's a fair amount of it that goes on. Um poker is is interesting. There was I definitely think that this is a use case that people are gonna really enjoy. Yeah. Gambling and poker. I don't know about pills as much, but yeah. but poker and porn. Yes. Yeah.
0: And what science fiction are you uh you know, most inspired by or most um, you see as mis- most dystopian that involves VR and AR. You know, some people say that this is a w- way You know, in the future as inequality continues to rise and right both uh, economic, but also genetic once we figure out CRISPR and stuff that, Hey, I'll just put the less fortunate people in, in headsets and they'll imagine, you know, or, or sort of live virtual, wonderful, wonderful lives. Or how do you sort of think about sci-fi in the space? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I guess this is just on the spot
1: thinking, but like, in video games um there is this notion that people don't like to pay i forgot what they call it um not pay to play but um play to win uh pay to win basically where you can power up your characters to a degree that they just you know you pay a couple hundred bucks and all of a sudden your character is way more powerful than everybody else out there and you're just wrecking people um you could, in a dystopian, you know, if I'm putting on my my cynical hat, you could think about a future where the people who are rich and privileged have AR devices that just kind of gives you an advantage in situations that other people potentially don't. If I've got AR contact lenses in and I've got a subscription to you know the wall street journal and some other really interesting uh business periodicals and i can pull up information faster than you who can't afford it and only has access to what's freely out there or something like that then i kind of have an advantage over you when i'm in business situations so i don't know that that could be one where you know Like that could be something that, that wouldn't be a very pleasant future. Um, you know, you're, you're in a, you're at a a party or you're, you know, networking at an, at an event and four people are standing there who are all rich and privileged talking about, you know, crazy, interesting things and being able to pull, pull up facts like that. And you're sitting there as the, as the fifth guy who can't afford any of that
0: stuff and is just trying to keep up with the conversation. Yeah. You know, one of my hobbies is freestyle rap and I am excited about a world in which the right rhyme or potential rhyme just shows up in AR as I'm <laughs> as I'm uh, as I'm rhyming. Another space you, you mentioned you're excited about is uh, productivity in, in VR AR. Yeah, uh, Is that related to training or different training? How do you think about what that might look like?
1: No, I think about that. Um, I think about that as the things that I mostly use my laptop for right now, which is like sending emails, right. looking over documents, like all of those things. You know, having to carry around a laptop and having to hunch over while I'm on that laptop is crappy and I wish there was a better alternative at the very least. I wish that there was that there was that one of the, one of the laptop companies would come out with a laptop where the screen telescopes up so that I can actually be at my eye level. So I don't have to hunch over when I'm looking or I don't have to use one of those stupid desk stands. Yeah. So, you know, rather than Right now, this, even in my head, this sounds kind of ridiculous to say, but rather than going to a, to a coffee shop and pulling out my laptop, going to a coffee shop and throwing on a headset that enables me to have six screens up and be, enables me to yeah. sit comfortably and type. Man, that, that future is, yeah. would be amazing. That would be amazing for me as somebody who wants to get productivity done. Walking into a Starbucks and seeing 18 people in there with all headsets on is a little bit scary (laughs) (laughs) if I'm not the one with the headset on. But it is just a way more natural way. Like it – I think, I think I would be – I'll just put it this way. I think I would be much more pr- productive if I had a way to block out the outside world and yeah. be – sit comfortable in an ergonomic fashion and be able to have all of my computers and all of my information in a really um, uh, ergonomic uh, manner in front of me.
0: Yeah. Do you worry about a world, by the way, where uh, some people paint the dystopia? There's this uh, famous photo of Mark Zuckerberg walking down the, and you know everyone's got a headset on. And it's sort of painted somewhat dystopian in terms of is the solution to loneliness just putting a headset on, thus making you more lonely? Or would people paint this dystopian view of hey, we're all just going to be retreating into our headsets? You know, by I
1: mean, look, we'll adapt. Like we'll adapt and we'll change and we'll grow. Yep. Um, you know, I I I think about all of the things in past. This is this is kind of ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Saturday morning I was kind of loafing around and I threw on Caddyshack 2 and I was sitting on my couch just with my feet up relaxing in the morning and it comes up to a scene in Caddyshack 2 where they're on the golf course and they just finish a round and one of the guys who's this like stuffy country club guy goes up to the two caddies and is like, just so you know, we ordered 20 You know, Model X golf carts uh, that are all coming in in two months. So you guys will all be out of the job. And there have been so many times in the past where new technology has come in and people have been like, it's going to replace everything. Um, there was, there's, there's something that I've mentioned a couple times beforehand. I think it was in the 1800s where the, the printing press hit certain parts of London and the queen said, anybody who's caught selling this is going to be, uh, they're going to have their heads chopped off because it's going to put out all of the, the, the scribes, you know, the, this has happened time and time and time again. And I think that we will adapt. Look today, there really isn't much of a reason for me to leave my apartment. Yeah. Like I can order my food, I can do my workout, I can video chat into all my things, but it's not healthy. If I stay in there for too long, I start to go stir crazy. So now I'm starting to figure out like what I, what I do to, to, to balance out my time. And I think that that will be the case in the future. Like we're humans and we have, we have natural tendencies will evolve, but there's certain things that we, that we crave or most of us crave like human interaction, human touch, Physical movement, right. um, exploration, things like that, um, and so we're right now. The pendulum has swung too far in terms of technology. Yeah. I mean, you look at a club, you go out to a dance club, you go out to a place where a lot of kids are hanging out. The amount of kids who are looking down at their phone is yeah. is laughable. Right. So the pendulum has swung too far, but it's going to swing back to center. And I think that just like people are like, you know, it was. There was some time before people realized how important it is to get physical exercise and to like be healthy and like all of those different things. I think we'll get that, we'll get to that point with our mental health as well. And we'll start to realize, we'll start to, we'll start to take that a little bit more seriously.
0: Totally. My guest today has been Greg Castle of Anorak. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me.